go back to class. God used the teachers and the preparation for the Christmas program that's coming. This is the time in which I call the pastoral prayer. I spend some time praying for our congregation, and I ask you to join me. So when I pray, you pray with me, and we pray together as one congregation. And you say amen at the end if you agree with and want to join in on that prayer. Before we do that, as you know, this is the time for elections this Tuesday. And, and I, I want to ask you... Does anybody remember what I preached on four years ago this time? I don't expect you to remember, and a lot of you weren't here. I gave five points in a sermon before election. I called it on the eve of general elections, Psalm 146, and I gave these points. And I agree with them wholeheartedly. And I, I pray they'll guide our thoughts and our prayers. One, civil government is a gift from God with design purpose and given this our form of government, we have a responsibility to be part of it for God's glory and the good of others. Number two, the decision of who we vote for is often not simple and godly Christians may come to different conclusions, although we must all commit to pursuing the same goal and that is to glorify God and love our neighbors. Three, God is absolutely sovereign over all elections and rulers, whether they're good or bad. And he will work all for his glorious purposes and will and will accomplish his purposes, even though he'll use various means. Sometimes strange means is to be fearful, put its trust in governments and leaders, and primarily see this world as, the, as all there is. That's not what we believe. The way of the believer is to have attitudes and actions in this election and in all of life that is characterized by absolute confidence and trust in our Lord God Almighty. Amen? Amen. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we come and we say, hallowed be your name. To you be the glory and honor. To you is all wisdom and might. You are the ruler your son, Jesus, has been given all authority and over in heaven and earth. And that means over all leaders and all presidents and all prime ministers and all legislators and all judges and over all local governments and over all authorities, including our church. Pray that he'd be hallowed this Tuesday, including in the way everyone in this room and this church Worship you. We put no trust in a president or Congress or the laws of our nation or judges or sheriffs or police, but our confidence is in the Lord God Almighty, Father. We praise him and we thank him. This morning, I pray that you would feed us from your word, that we might obey you and trust you and follow you. God, I pray this morning that you'd be with the surrounding churches. And I pray for my friend Tig Vanneman, pastor at Great Lakes Bible in Holly, who has COVID and found out yesterday. And I pray for their congregation in him, and I pray that you'd heal him. And I pray for all of the churches in our area from First Baptist in Holly and First Baptist in Fenton and Eastgate and Heritage Baptist in the village in Byron and the Rock Church in Fenton and Tyrone Covenant and Mayfair Bible, and all of the churches in Genesee County, I pray that we would be faithful, gospel preaching, faithful to your word, shepherding the flock, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, that the members would love you, be faithful, and choose Christ over comfort. God, I pray that you would make a people out of us, Pots of clay. I pray that you'd make us holy, trusting in you, seeing what you want us to see, rejoicing in you in all things, 
committed and standing firm in the gospel in all ways, striving together. I pray that we would not be fearful of the enemy. I pray that we would love the world but not be influenced wrongly by the world. I pray that we would walk not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. I pray that our delight would be in your gospel and your word and your law and your ways and your promises. And we would meditate in all those things day and night. I pray that young and old in this church, everyone would be planted just like a tree would be planted by a stream of water and thrive. I pray that you'd give us all fruit in due season. Some of the fruit I pray would be those that have been really hurt for a long time. For various reasons would begin to be healed this morning. Those that are not truly saved would be born anew this morning. Those that are growing and doing well would be sustained and would continue to grow. Bring fruit in due season to parents to grandparents, to those that are just caring for their neighbor, caring for those wandering children that are grown up, but they love and pray for every day. Bring fruit in due season. Help our leaves, the condition of our hearts and souls to not wither in the sun and with trials and difficulties. And whatever we do, may we prosper for your name's sake and for the glory of Jesus Christ. God, I pray for the nations. I pray for the McFall Fosses, and I pray for the churches in Cameroon. I pray for the churches in India, South India. I pray for the churches in Tana, Vanuatu. I pray for the churches in China that are being more restricted, and definitely in North Korea and Afghanistan and Iran. Oh God, I pray that the church of Jesus Christ would balloon and over the world. That believers would be totally conformed to the image of Jesus. And when the lost see true Christians, they would see Jesus. They would see Jesus in us. Now would you take your word and conform it. Conform us to it. Before I do that, I pray that you'd be with Mike Bellows and you would heal him in the hospital bed. I pray that you'd be with Steve as he's recovering from surgery and you would heal him. And heal all the other infirmities, most importantly, the spiritual ones. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you turn with me to Psalm chapter 1? One of the most familiar... Psalms because it's the first psalm. This week, one phrase that has been coming to me over and over again, I put it in the notes section of my phone so I would look at it and see it. In fact, when I open my screen, it comes on there and scrolls on my screen and it's this. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. I, I've needed that verse this week. As I, as I parent and as I deal with my own issues in life, as I pastor and as I visit people and as I pray and I prepare and as I live out marriage and as I do everything else, I need the promise, my soul clings to God, your right hand upholds me. That's what I put there. That's what I put in my phone. That's, I came across it this week. Psalm 63, I think it's 8 or 9. And I, I would ask you, what do you have? What are you meditating on? What are you taking into your mind and your heart so much so that you say, unless God, your truth upholds me, I'm a goner spiritually. I cannot be the faithful man or woman, young person that I need to be to follow Jesus like I truly want to and need to. Well, Howard Rutledge, U.S. Navy pilot, was shot down in Vietnam 
on November 28th, 1965. He shot, shot down. He parachuted and immediately his plane was blown up. He drifted to the ground in his parachute. Villagers surrounded him, beat him, and captured him. He was a POW in some of the most horrific conditions from, get this, November of 1965 to February 1973. Over seven years, most of that time in solitary confinement, his prison life consisted of pain, in really small places, horrible food leading to countless parasites, physical torture, isolation from his fellow prisoners, fevers, exposure to elements like the weather, to rats, to vermin, extreme heat, extreme cold, depending on the year, very little clothing, and barely confessing believer, a Christian, but had turned away from his faith, got married, became this Navy officer, and... Wife, children, go to church. I'm staying home. And for many years, he shoved those things to the side. Now he's in prison. Now he's alone. No Bible, no friends, no help. This is what he writes in his little book. How I struggled to read, recall those scriptures and hymns. I had spent the first 18 years of my life in, in a Southern Baptist Sunday school, and I was amazed at how much I could recall. But regrettably... I had not seen the importance of memorizing verses from the Bible or learning gospel songs. Now, when I needed it, it was too late. I never dreamed that I would spend almost seven years, five in, in solitary confinement in a prison in North Vietnam, or about thinking that one memorized verse could have made the whole day bearable. And a portion of verse I did remember was this. Thy word have I hid in my heart. Psalm 119.11. How often I wished I had really worked to hide God's word in my heart. I put my mind to physical exercises. He says he describes his prison life. I'd clean up. When I get up early, I would exercise. I cleaned up as best as I could. Then I began a period in my own little cell of devotional prayer and meditation. I'd pray, I'd hum hymns silently that I remembered. Remember me, and then I'd quote scripture that I could remember. And I would think about what these verses meant to me. Remember, we're not playing games. The enemy knew that the best way to break a man's resistance was confinement from others. And so often, prisoners, POWs after solitary confinement would lay down in a fetal position and die. All this talk of scripture and hymns may seem boring to some, but it was the way we conquered our enemy and overcame the power of death around us. I want to say that the subject of taking God's word is not about playing games. Our life is not about playing games. And the enemy wants to destroy and detract and to remove us from what he made us. And God's word is essential. God would give Captain Howard Rutledge another chance in spite of neglect and forsaking God. The mercy of God broke through in this POW camp into his heart. He gave his life to Christ and God sustained him those seven plus years. I want to call you this morning to Psalm 1 and to the, all of the Psalms to make it your food for your soul for the rest of your life. So that if you find yourself without a physical Bible, you have one in miniature in your mind. You may not have large passages of scripture memorized, but you have meditation after meditation and verse after verse and truth after truth that you have hid in your heart. Look with me at Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. Oh, the blessedness of the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so. They're like chaff that the wind drives away. 
Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The Psalms are like a medicine chest. Not only to be read, like I just read, they're meant to be prayed and sung and meditated on and practiced. They're meant to be done. They're to be acted upon. They're to be our life. And I pray that God would cause us to be saturated with this truth. Psalm, I intend to, if the Lord wills, to preach through the Psalms. Not the next 150 Sundays, which it would take if we took every Sunday, but over if God gives opportunity. It's kind of a bold and brazen thought, but over the next 10 or 15 years, taking about 10 or 12 each year, and working, sprinkling through the Psalms and working through them in order. Psalm 1 is, well, it's the first Psalm. It's the preface to the Psalter. That was what they called the Psalms, the Psalter. Psalm 1 is the message or the pathway to this great mountain range of the glory of God in what's called the Psalms. This mountain range that shows God's beauty God's accessibility, his grandeur and majesty, his accessibility and the fact of lamenting and pain-ridden, depressed at times, psalmists who cry out to God, some that are just receiving answers to prayer and exalting and praising him. They are psalms of wisdom and psalms of, of courage and psalms of promise, psalms of trust in God. They are songs and poetry inspired by the Holy Spirit. They are the songbook of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There is no book in the Old Testament that Jesus quoted more often than the Psalms. Throughout the last 2,000 years, the church never viewed that as an Old Testament thing, but the songbook of the church, which... God's people would pour over, over and over again. So much so that some churches had it in their tradition that every month a Christian would read through the Psalms, five a day. And every month you read five Psalms a day, and for one month you'll read all the Psalms. So much so that about 1,500 years ago, I think it is, 1,000 years ago, certain churches would not accept you as a potential pastor unless you at least had memorized all the Psalms. Now, I'm thankful that Lee did not have that requirement when he led the pulpit committee and asked me, because I did not have all the Psalms done then. Neither do I now. <laughs> this Psalm, Psalm 1, is like a Bible in miniature in some ways. In this way, it, like the whole Bible, this book says there are only two ways, two ways, and only two ways. One leads to life, one to rebellion is rebellion to God. One has the long view, one so narrow-minded, it's just thinking of just a couple days or a couple years. One requires faith in God to see the invisible. And one, and one requires a relationship with God, while the other one is immediate ease. The other self-denial, going against the grain, the other self-indulgence and the flow of the world. In the words of Jesus, one is the wide way and one's the narrow way. One brings temporary happiness, very short-lived, and the other brings solid joy, both in this life and to the life to come. The blessed way is the way of the righteous. The cursed way is the cursed way of the wicked. And look with me at verse 6 of this psalm, and he says it there. The Lord knows. It means he doesn't just, he's just informed of. He is, a, he is intimately involved in the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So what I want to do this morning is give you two main exhortations. Or two, two objectives, because I believe they're the objectives of this psalm. One is to warn you. And the second is to woo you. 
to warn you of the peril and to woo you of the goodness of God wherever you are in your journey. I know that so many of you and most of you are here as members of this church or in believers in Christ and you all would say, I know I'm, I'm saved, I'm a believer and I pray that God would just encourage you and he would, he would woo you, he would compel you and move you towards greater joy in him and seeking him. But I know always in every service and probably watching online every time there's somebody that's here, there's usually many here that either they're self-deceived or they know they are not on the way of the righteous. And if they died today, they don't know where they would be. They would perish. So I want to warn you this morning and I want to woo you. Psalms, Psalm 1-4 says this. Look at verse 4. The wicked are not so. They're not blessed. The wicked are not blessed and they are not like a tree that's planted by rivers of water. They will not succeed in all that they do. They are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment and the sinners nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. I want you to see here this morning, because there's two ways, the way of the wicked, the way of the righteous, the way of the blessed, the way of the blessed and the way of the cursed. And I want you to see here, when he says the way of the wicked, the way of the wicked, we usually think of the word wicked and we think, oh, those are the people that I categorize much worse than me. Whatever it is, it's worse than me. It's those that do the really bad sins. They'll probably, if they got caught, they'd go to prison. Or they'd be so, 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 so embarrassed if anybody knew what they actually think or do. So that's not me. That's those that are in this extra category. That's not what that word means. The way of the wicked, it could be translated the way of the ungodly. Or those that do not fear the Lord in their practical living. This word could be anyone where God is not central in our lives and we have not come under his lordship and put our trust in him. He says this, he warns them and he says, you're in peril. The way of the wicked is not just for big, big sin kind of people. All people are sinners. And unless they have moved from this wicked category to the category of the righteous, they're in deep peril. There's only two categories. There's not a third, uh, which is kind of bad, not committed to Jesus, but I'm just kind of stay here, and I got my life insurance for salvation. There's, there's none of that. He says they're like the chaff. The wicked are like the chaff, which the wind drives away. You know what the chaff is? The chaff is that useful, useless, I should say, shell of a wheat grain. And after threshing the wheat... Harvesters would take the wheat grain and they would go to a windy spot and they would throw the wheat grain up into the air and, and the shell of that grain, there was a, the heavier part of it is the shell that you could make bread with and it would fall to the ground, but the, the shell part that was worthless would blow away into the wind. That's the chaff. He says, listen here. All you who want wisdom, listen. Those that do not make God their life those who do not yield and submit to Jesus Christ, they are like the chaff. Chaff is rootless. There's no anchor to it. There's no life source to it. And therefore, they're lifeless. And they're, root, they're useless. And they're waste. They're weightless. They're just gone. They're hoof. There's no fear of the Lord. And therefore, there's no true wisdom they lack God's revelation. They, their lives were made for the image of God. They're image bearers of God, but they are not following him. This is the picture of man without God. Is this you? Do you know? Do you truly know that God is your righteousness? Jesus is your savior, that your sins have been forgiven the wicked are like chaff that will be blown away. They might prosper and thrive and make billions in this world, and they'll be gone in the next, the scripture says. Fret not, because they will, like the grass, they'll come up and they'll perish at the end of the season. 
And it says here they're defenseless in the judgment. See, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, verse 5. There's going to be a judgment someday. We'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ. I don't know how that's going to look. And we'll stand before God and we will face our judge. What will he say? Why should I let you? Why should, it, why should I let you into eternal joy and not judge you? The answer is that no answer that is good or acceptable. They will not be able to stand in the judgment. Instead, they will be thrown out and punished forever. And the righteous will stand because of their righteousness. But what I will say here is because they have received a righteousness that is not their own. They've received a righteousness by a free gift that came to them. When God so loved the world that he sent his own son And they trusted in Christ and he brought them in and united them to Christ and said, now Christ's righteousness is your righteousness. You see, he warns us. The psalmist right away as we go into this wants everyone to be warned. There is people in this world that reject God and do not look to him. They're defenseless at the judgment. And that is the condition of every single human being that on, the place, on, the plan, on this planet, you are born that way and you will remain that way unless God, in his mercy, grabs you, pulls you out of that chaff-like condition, defenseless condition, and brings you into himself and you believe and trust in him. And if you're here today, I call you to that. I call you to put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. His righteousness will be your righteousness. He will be your forgiveness. He will be your salvation. And you can stand as part of the righteous, not self-righteous, Christ-righteous because of his grace. Do you know that your kids, your grandkids, your neighbors, your friends that have not called on the name of the Lord, not surrendered to Christ, are in that condition, and oh, that it should make us care. This passage should make our hearts pray and be burdened that life is short. There are two ways and only two ways, and there is nothing more important. We better not mess around. We're not playing games. This is for keeps. And where, what way are we on? The psalmist says, do not fret because of evildoers. They'll soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. They're unable to enjoy the blessings of God. They will not stand in the congregation of the righteous. The sorrows of those who run after other gods will multiply. Psalmist says that those that make idols and trust in idols, they will become like those idols without mouths, without hands. They can't do anything. Cursed is the man who trusts in man and puts his flesh, his, makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He'll be like a shrub in the desert, and he shall see no good to come. He'll dwell, he shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land and dry up and die. And Psalm 1 wants us to hear this and be warned. But I want to warn you and pivot to the the positive, the wooing, by saying this. The righteousness, once again I said this, the righteousness that you need is not a life of long accumulation of good deeds. That's not the way we get righteous. But grace from God that is offered us by receiving his gift and entering his covenant I I entered into a covenant of marriage 19 years ago, and I received all the blessings that came with Molly and she with me, and we were united. We became one, and when Jesus saves us, he enters, brings us into a covenant with him, and all the benefits of Jesus is ours, and we get his righteousness, and and he takes our sins and forgives us, and all the blessings for the rest of our lives, oh, the blessedness of being united in that covenant, that is the That is the way of righteousness for us. And then it changes everything by his grace. Where does it come? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish like this man that perished through Jesus Christ. So let me woo you to joy. One side I warn you, 
Would you turn away from the path and repent and look to Jesus? Let me woo you to the joy that's in Jesus. It's found in this passage. Verses 1 through 3. The way of the righteous is blessed. That word blessed means a joyful spiritual condition that is at all those who are right with God enjoy it's a, and all the pleasures and satisfaction that comes from him. This, this word is a strange word, blessed. We often use it. We just throw it around. Oh, I'm, how are you doing? I'm blessed. And, but it, it means happy, but true, life-changing joy, solid joy, happy. And this word is actually a plural, so it would be like all the blessings to the person. And then it gives three descriptors of, of this person. This person, remember I said, this person is not righteous because they pulled themselves up by their own moral bootstraps and became a do-gooder. And everybody, and they can pat themselves on the back and say, yes, I'm righteous. No, Jesus did it for us. He made us righteous. And now he starts to change us from the inside. And he says, there are three things about the blessed person. And here they are. Number one, the blessed person shuns the pollutions of the world on the life of the word. And the blessed person thrives on the grace of God. Those three things. Oh, I, I want that for myself. Or I want that for my wife and my kids. I want that for my church, for you. I know you want it down deep in your heart if you're a believer. Oh, that we would heed this wisdom. That's what this psalm is. It's a wisdom psalm. And not go one way that we would be so easily inclined to go. And we would go the way of wisdom, the way of blessing. So number one, the blessed person shuns the pollutions of the world. Psalm 1.1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Nor does he stand in the way of sinners. Nor does he sit in the seat of scoffers. This is a warning. He says, first of all, there's a negative the negative is he doesn't do something. There's something he abstains from. He watches out for. Because if he doesn't watch out, he will be polluted by things and influences that will keep him from the blessedness and the way that God has called him to. Why do you think he begins with the negative? Well, psalmist, inspired by God, is... Also a realist. He knows the way this world works. He knows that we live in a fallen world and this world system is out to, it's gone, it's out to dull our spiritual life. To just remove it. To just strip us from a love for God and to love other things. Anything other than God. Every person in this world that will face, apart from God's grace, is wicked. That's where we were until he saves us. The blessed do not allow the world's pollution and poison to enter our hearts and our minds. They know it will if we don't watch out. And so they watch out. And it says three things. They do not walk in the counsel of the wicked. There's a progression here. And they do not stand in the way of sinners. And they do not sit in the seat of scoffers. There's this progression of, of this is bad, but entry level. This is getting settled into my sinful world ways. And this is, I've embraced it completely. And he says, oh, the blessed person, the person that's truly happy, that has it, has it truly what God has meant for them to have and is, find satisfaction in him. Oh, they watch out because they do not walk in the counsel of the, the ungodly. Remember I said the wicked. The wicked does not just mean... Big bad sinners, the worst of sinners. It means those that do not have their minds on God. They're, they're unbelievers often. They're outside of a saving covenant. They're guilty before God. God's not in their thoughts. And he says, the godly, they do not saturate their lives. They do not meditate their lives. They don't bring their minds and their hearts into their counsel. They don't get counseled with the aims and the agendas and the plans in the way of thinking from the world, which could be, you know, you know some of the messages that are out there that are not according to the Bible. Things like, my desires are who I am, and therefore I need to live that out. If I feel like I should do, want to do that, I should do that. I have a right to be happy. And because I have a right to be happy, 
I can end this marriage. Or I can end this situation. Or I can do this because I deserve to be happy. I deserve. It's a message, a counsel of the ungodly. I deserve. I don't deserve anything but punishment from God. And I have received mercy upon mercy from God's grace. I just need to believe in myself a little bit more. Ha! I need to believe in God's grace. Yes, there's a way of having some confidence in what God has done in our lives. Sometimes that's the case. But our answer is, and I just need to believe in myself a little bit more. I, need, I can do anything if I put my mind to it. Well, there is something about being vigorous and proactive and diligent, industrious. Oh, but apart from God, I can do nothing. Unless God builds a house, I labor in all my, my building. I deserve retirement. Who said you deserve retirement? It's a gift. If it's a gift, use it to the glory of God. But there, no one says you deserve it. It's a modern American idea. I, serve, I served in the church at, when I was younger. I don't need to do anything more because they hurt me or because of this situation. I want to take time easy now and I want to coast. Oh, that we not listen to the counsels of the ungodly, whatever it is. This does not mean that there aren't really wise doctors, counselors, or people in our lives that will speak into our lives and will go, thank you, that was really helpful. But what this psalm is saying, you need to make sure that the counsel that comes and impacts the way you think, the way you direct your life, the way your heart and your affections are being impacted must be unpolluted from the counsels of this world. And as he says, the wicked and those, the sinners are those that choose disobedience to God. The scoffers are those that say, ha, not only do I not believe in God, I am opposed to righteousness or I'm opposed to the things of Jesus Christ. And he says, the blessed man, the blessed woman, the blessed person is careful. It watches their what they take in at school and how they do school and social media and movies and TV and romantic novels and self-help books and Hallmark movies and Disney movies and whatever it is and say, are they, conform are they helping me or are they poisoning my mind and my thinking and I'm finding myself where God is a lot smaller and I and other things are much bigger Oh, that we would be a people that would be discerning. I just want to say this. We need to be careful. Parents, as we model this to our children, there are so many comedies and popular TV shows out there that if we really thought through the messages and the things they laugh at, they're things that God hates and that he sent his son to die for, and there are people enslaved to those very sins that they make light of. And I'm thinking especially of sexual sins. And oh, we need to be careful. Blessed is the man who does not allow his heart and his mind to be polluted with the influences of the ungodly because they know there's something so much better. Children, young people who are being parented, Understand your parents are meant to protect you and care for you and watch over you and keep you from the counsel of the ungodly. Where are you right now, all of you, with this? What in your life are you allowing to come in and be the counsel of the ungodly, be the, the way of sinners, the seed of scoffers, that you're just kind of, you're just letting it just come in and just, and it's, it's having a, almost this radiation effect that's just kind of, killing your spiritual life. Oh, those that are wise would hear, heed this and put it into practice by going, God, please show me. Show me what practices and ways in which I, I am allowing myself or my family to be influenced this way. Oh, help me to know the emptiness and sorrow of those ways if I let them go in the long run. Here's the second. The blessed person feasts upon the life of God's word. Psalm 1-2 says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. 
And on his law, he meditates day and night. He gives two positive things for us. Two positive things for the happy man or woman. And that is, he delights in the law of the Lord, and he meditates on it day and night. Brothers and sisters, do you delight in God's word? Do you delight to hear it preached and read and sung? Do you delight to read it? Do you delight to memorize it? Do you you delight to take it into your life? The psalmist says the blessed person does that. He grows to delight in it. Yes, at times it becomes a duty. And we we embrace it as a duty to say, I know it's what I need and I'm going to... I know it's what will change my life. And so, God, forgive me that it's not a delight right now. God, help me. But he says the blessed person grows to say, it's my delight. Psalm 112, 1 and 2. Praise the Lord. Blessed is a man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. Psalm 119.97, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Can you say that, young and old? Oh, how I'm speaking to everyone here, young people. I pray that you will grow. I know that in the youth group, you have accountability groups, and you have small groups in which you're challenged. Are you having your devotions? Are you reading? I pray that you will not only just do it so you can tell your accountability partner or leader, yes, I've done it five days this week or seven days out of seven this week. Would you make it your goal in prayer? Oh, God, help me to love it. Help me to love your word more than I truly, help me to see it as more valuable and more necessary. Because you see, the blessed person feasts upon the life-giving word. Parents, they need to see it in you. Grandparents or seniors in this church, I pray that God would make you the most Bible-saturated seniors that has ever been in a church. That you would just... In, the, in your latter years, you might say, oh, I have a hard time memorizing. That doesn't matter. But it says his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates. It doesn't say fully memorize. Usually to meditate, you start memorizing. But I just challenge you to take a phrase a day or a phrase a week. For me, it was this week. Your right hand upholds me. Or it starts with this. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. And I needed that. I needed that when I was stressed out. I needed that in doing certain ministry this week, to be faithful as a husband, to be faithful as a parent, to confess my sins. I needed to know, God, I need to cling to you. My soul clings to you because without you, I cannot love my family right. I can't love my church. I cannot trust your promises right. I'll just plunge into sin and and selfishness and love for comfort over Jesus Christ. Oh God, I have to cling to you. I'm dependent on you. I'm needy of you. But even better than that first resolution of my soul clings to you is the promise that comes right after this. Your right hand upholds me. Oh God... You uphold me even when I'd blow it. Even when I was unfaithful this week in being in your word or loving you or being a good mom or dad. You uphold me. And you uphold me. And the reason why I know you uphold me is because I have trusted in your son Jesus. He saved me. And he will never let me go. And he is going to take care of me. And he's going to hold me fast. He'll never Never leave me. And he promises to work all things for my good so that I will grow to be like Jesus forever. Oh, his hand upholds me. This point, I just want to challenge young and old and all in between for you to meditate on the word of God day and night. That word day and night just means all of the time. I call you to take this week a phrase It might be a phrase a day or it might be one phrase for the whole week. And write it on a note card or put it in a notes part of your phone or put it on the screen of your laptop or tape it on the window and the the mirror in your bathroom or in the dash in your car and ask God to help you repeatedly go back to it. You need phrases and verses so that when you lay in bed tonight, it's short enough for you to remember, my soul clings to you. Your right hand holds me. I want that in a hospital bed. I want that in the car. When I'm, a, when I'm struggling with anxiety, when you're struggling with fear, 
struggling with anger, struggling with temptation and lust, struggling with grief and depression. Oh, God's word is meant to be our feast. There are so many passages of scripture. If you just read all of Psalm 119, you'd start to read how many times the psalmist goes, your commandments like are better than all the wealth in the world. I want your commandments. Commandments? I thought commandments I have to do. They're hard. They fight my flesh. It's because he believes that God is so good, he wouldn't give me a command unless it's good for me. And so it's good news for my heart. Oh, that God would help us, no matter what age we are, to make his word our meditation. There is no blessedness, is the implication, unless his law becomes our delight and we meditate on it day and night. You might say, I've been a Christian for a long time, and boy, I've been struggling. It's hard to feel that God is that real and strong. I've been a Christian a long time, Pastor Daniel, and it just doesn't seem what you're saying. Well, I, I don't know. I can't tell you all that's going on in your heart. But I do want to say, are you, are you allowing things to just poison your heart? And like, are you feeding on something so you just have no appetite left over for the word? And then when you get to the word, are you meditating on it day and night? Are you asking the Holy Spirit to say, oh God, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of this phrase and this verse and this truth? And this promise, incline my heart to you and not to selfish gain. Are you meditating on God's word? Please daily take one or two phrases from scripture this week. Meditate on it. Leaders, leaders of families, moms leading your children in the home during the day. Fathers leading your home, leaders at work, whatever situation you are, you need a type of joy and blessedness and happiness to lead well. How in the world will you do it without the life-giving word to feast upon? Man does not live by bread alone, Jesus said, but lives by every word that comes from the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 8. Lastly, the blessed person thrives by the grace of God. This last verse, or last verse I want to bring to you is verse 3. The first two, to shun the pollutions of the world and to feast on the life are things we do. This third one is the promise, the description of the blessedness. Oh, the blessedness, the joy, the happiness of the righteous. This blessed person whose delight is in God's word and who meditates on it day and night and it takes a while. It takes, it takes patterns and growth in our lives. He's like a tree planted, uses this simile, like a tree planted by water. In these desert parts of Israel, only trees would grow by a river stream. He's like a tree that's planted, anchored deep in a riverbed or near it so that it has roots to grow into the water source. So is the Christian goes to the word of God. The word of God becomes our life. We meditate on it. We powerfully practice it. And it becomes like this life source. Becomes, they become fruitful in season, it says here. They're fruitful in season. Parents, do you want to be fruitful? I'm not talking about just having a lot of kids. Some of you are still having a lot of kids, and that's a blessing. But I'm talking about fruitful and seeing them know and love the Lord seeing the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Fruit as Christians comes as we see God working through us, new attitudes and prayer in our lives and acts of service, obedience to our parents for young people, devotion in our marriage, obedience and love to the people in our lives that we're called to obey. Those who are elderly, your call, there's such a beautiful promise here. I love Psalm 92. It says, the, peop, the man and woman that are righteous, they flourish like a palm tree. And they grow like the cedars of Lebanon. They are planted in the house of God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. And they, they are ever full of sap and green. And the only reason is because they are tapped 
into the word. They still bear fruit in old age. They declare the righteousness of God in their hearts. Oh, may we go after this God. There is a grace from God that comes from the blessed people who shun the pollutions of the world and feast on the grace of God. One, one last thing as I conclude. Oh, this, this is my exhortation. Faith Church, I said this at the beginning of the year. I said, let us not be Bible-less pansies where we just, the Bible is just out of our lives and we just, oh, we're Christians, but like the Bible? What? Let, it, let, it medit- let us meditate on it day and night. One of the most helpful illustrations that an author used, Don Whitney uses for meditation is he says, use a simple illustration. A cup of tea. Maybe you'll have a cup of tea this afternoon. Karen in Eng- from England, she'll have a cup of tea. And in this analogy, your mind is the cup of tea, or I should say, is a cup of hot water. And there's a tea bag is like the, the word of God. And when you hear it read, it's like you're dipping the tea bag into the cup of hot water. If your soul, your mind, your heart. And you hear it preached, another cup. T- dip in and in fact it stays in there for a little longer and then you go and you memorize it and it's plunging that tea bag in there maybe you'll do other things to listen to the word of God this week but meditation is like immersing the bag completely and letting it steep into all the rich tea flavors that has been extracted in the hot waters thoroughly tinctured reddish brown meditation on scripture is letting the bible brew in our brain Oh, that God would help us to be that, that we might have life for our family, temptation, encouragement for our coworkers and for our children and for our parents and for our friends and for our fellow church members. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, who trusts is in God. He is like a tree planted by water who sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when the heat comes, for its leaves remain green, and it is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Jeremiah 17, 7. There's only two ways, friends. What way are you on? There's only the way of the righteous that will satisfy, and only through Jesus Christ. So be warned and repent and run to Christ. He is the law that is perfect and he revives our hearts and souls. He is the one who makes the wise. He makes the simple wise. He is the one who rejoices our hearts and he's the one that's pure and enlightens our eyes and he's the one who's clean and righteous altogether. Jesus is the one who is to be more desired than gold, far more than fine gold, sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb, Psalm 19. And moreover by him is, are we warned, and in keeping and following and looking to him, there is great reward. Let's 